May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be free from harm. May all beings love life. May all beings awaken. Welcome to another Kuk Audio podcast. I'm DC, Pubov Kuk Audio and Kuk Archives. Preserving the legacy of Shunju Suzuki and those whose paths cross his. I pray that you and yours are safe and comfortable, free from economic hardship, and able to get out and do whatever it is you want within the limitations of the universal precept to do as little harm as possible. So today we're going to have a memorial podcast for Layla Bockhorst Smith. For Layla Bockhorst Smith. And uh, dear friend to so many of us. Uh, and um, I'm going to start off reading uh, a um, memorial post and obituary uh, for her uh, off the internet that uh, Chris Fortin sent me. I'm not sure if it's the official one the family made. Probably. Uh, I don't know. Uh, then I'll, I'll read the uh, uh, the uh, interview I did with her uh, years and years ago. Uh, that's on uh, uh, Um And I'll read something that Chris Fortin sent. Uh, gee, I was just uh, talking with uh, Britt Pylan a few days ago uh, about... Um, uh, for a podcast, and he mentioned he was a little down because uh, two people very close to him had died, and one of them was Layla. And he said, I think he said they sat uh, Tangario to get together at uh, Tassahara. Uh, and he talked about, you know, how kind she was and how much she appreciated her presence and practicing with her. Um. And um, I noticed on Facebook, uh, uh, I posted about uh, Layla's passing, and uh, uh, there were uh, many, uh, you know, very nice uh, comments there. Maybe I'll dig them up and uh, uh, read some of them. Uh, but here I'm going to read the, uh, the obituary first. Layla Marie Smith Bockhorst. Beloved wife, mother, grandmother, sister, friend, teacher, passed away November 3rd, 2022, at the age of 76, surrounded by family and friends. Layla was born to Dallas and Jesse Hoggins-Smith in Miles City, Montana. Her family moved to Cut Bank, Montana in 1958. After graduating high school, Layla attended Reed College in Portland, Oregon. It was here she met her husband of 49 years, James Bockhorst. At Reed, she was first introduced to Zen Buddhism, which would become her lifelong passion. She was profoundly influenced by the founder of the San Francisco Zen Center, Shunju Suzuki Roshi, and spent many years at the Tassara Zen Mountain Center, as well as the city center in Green Gulch Farm. 
It was while at Gringos that her one daughter, Sarah, was born. Layla went on to become a teacher at the Mountain Source Sangha, which she found profoundly moving and fulfilling. Aside from Zen Buddhism, Layla's other passions included bicycling and any activity that involved being outdoors. She had many favorite places in California to camp, hike, and bicycle, frequently taking solo trips, which she loved planning. Perhaps her favorite place of all was Glacier National Park in Montana. Layla grew up in a small community near Glacier Park and participated in many family camping trips to this gorgeous and wild place. It was during these formative years that her love for nature and outdoor activities was born. Layla formed a small Zen group in Helena, Montana, and traveled to Montana frequently. Layla was authentically and wholeheartedly there for those in her life. She made the time to show up for everyone who reached out, providing caring, trustworthy, and wise counsel. Peace, equanimity, and kindness permeated her being. Everyone she knew will greatly cherish her impact on their lives, either through love, friendship, mentorship, or spiritual teaching. Her Buddhist name, Gyokujun Teishin, Pure Forge, Constant Heart, embodied her path. Layla was preceded in death by her parents, Dallas and Jesse. She is survived by her husband, James, daughter, Sarah, son-in-law, Robert Lusarini, her beloved grandchildren, Alexander Alex and Sophia Lusarini, her daughter, Robin Armstrong, and her brothers, Kim and Lauren Smith. Her family would like to thank the hospice team for their compassionate care. They would also like to thank all the friends and family who came for visits, called, or sent letters. Although Layla may not have had a chance to reply personally to all those who reached out, the outpouring of love is indicative of the impact she had on all those around her and brought her great comfort in her final months and weeks. Notifying her many students and friends of her move to hospice, she concluded with this verse by an early Buddhist nun. Here at the end, part of me still wants to go back and kiss every inch of every road I ever walked, but it's enough just to say thank you and goodbye. Layla will be sorely missed by her family, friends, and students, but her presence will be carried forward by all who knew her. Memorial services are tentatively scheduled for Saturday, March 25th at Green Gulch Farms Zen Center. In her memory, donations may be made to Mountain Source Sangha, mtsource.org, or to San Francisco Zen Center, sfzc.org. Chris Fortin wrote the following. One of the things that stands out to me about Layla is that she had come to rest in the importance of the simple act of being with and caring for her sangha. She simply and deeply wanted to devote her life and practice to sangha in the Bay Area, Idaho 
and Montana, and the practitioners who had come together to practice with her. The Sangha sat with her both in person and on Zoom as she was dying. The evening of Thursday, November 3rd, Denise, a senior practitioner in the Sangha, and I were sitting with Layla in the Bakhorst home, along with the Sangha who was on Zoom. Layla was breathing softly and evenly and peacefully just a few feet away. We chanted the Metta Sutra, which Layla loved, and a dedication of merit. As we closed, Denise turned the computer screen so the Sangha could see the soft and gentle candle-lit space where Layla was and encouraged people to silently send her love and whatever was in their heart. We closed the Zoom at 8, and Robin asked us to come over to Layla because something was changing in her breathing. We walked over just a few steps across the room. Layla took two deep breaths, and she was gone. Her time of death was a few minutes after eight. Effortless and simple. Layla fully let go and leapt free. We chanted and bathed her, dressed her in her robes and raksu with flowers everywhere around her body. The Bachhorst home was opened Friday and Saturday for visitation. She was carried up the stairs out of her home on Saturday evening with a group of us following close behind, chanting with whole hearts, joy and grief, gate, gate, over and over. The cremation was November 15th, and Layla was attended with chanting and ritual by longtime Dharma friends and Mountain Source senior practitioners. Mm, Thank you, Chris. Layla was, I always loved Layla Zinsener. The the way she was described uh, in that obituary is true. She was peaceful and soft-spoken, she was quiet. She was thoughtful. I, I don't know. I'm sure she raised her voice and got angry sometimes, but I never saw her do that. Uh, now, she had a lot of secretarial experience, which benefited Cuke Archives greatly. She did a tremendous amount of transcribing for us, uh, starting in the, in the 1990s. You know, helping me uh, get my um, interviews uh, transcribed. She and Elizabeth Twomey and I did the most work, but there were some other people who did. But Layla, the thing about Layla is she could type like 130 words a minute or something. She was so fast and she was so accurate. And she would uh, put in occasional uh, notes if she doubted something or had some suggestions. She was really good. Then, uh, and that continued. And you know, the last thing she did for Cuke Archives was just a few months before she died. Um, she transcribed one of the uh, uh, Suzuki Roshi lectures that had been recently, um, or a couple of years ago, discovered at the Zen Center. Uh, now, when, when I lived in uh, San Rafael, 
in uh, the the two years before coming to Bali, uh, mm, 2012 and 13, uh, and we came here in December of 13, uh, I sat in those two years with uh, various groups in that area. There were about five of them or something, you know. Uh, and uh, Layla's was um, was on some morning, you know, like Monday morning or something over in Larkspur, just over the hill from where I was in Gerstel Park in San Rafael. So I'd go over the hill the back road, you know. I didn't, I didn't have to go out to the freeway. Uh, and... Uh, I loved sitting with her group. Uh, it was a small group. You know, when I sat with all these groups, they all had a talk or some something that went on for a while, you know, after the sitting, like for an hour after it or an hour and a half or two hours. And Layla's, there'd be a brief reading. She basically didn't give talks. She might say something, but... She did a brief reading, something that would be five, ten minutes, if that, you know, ten minutes. Well, and they were very nice. I posted a bunch of them on Cuke.com uh, and told her, keep sending them. Uh, and um, I really liked going over there and sitting with her there and doing that. I liked Larkspur, too. That uh, was really nice. So anyway, uh, now I'm going to... I'm going to go uh, read uh, her. Um. So here it is. Oh, gosh, it's not dated. Shame, David. Interview with Layla Bachor Smith by DC. So I say, so do I need to ask you a question? And she says, well, maybe. Uh, I feel like, you know, I don't have much. It's. If it's especially about Suzuki Roshi, there wasn't much. I don't. Ha I didn't have a lot of contact with him. Uh, well, then what's your way-seeking mind story? Where does it start? Well, it starts probably when I was three years old. I was sitting on the clothes hamper in our laundry room, and I realized that that was the first time I realized that people actually die, that there is an end to life. At three? At three, yeah. I think so. Maybe four. Well, I was pretty young, you know, and I suddenly realized, oh, something woke me, something made me realize people die, that, that this doesn't go on forever. This, uh, this is not unchanging, you know, and so... I think that set in motion my way-seeking mind. And she laughs. But more specifically, you know, Zen. It was reading The Way of Zen by Alan Watts and trying to meditate and finding it extremely meaningful and important and impossible to do on my own. So another couple of years went by and I fussed around. And, and then at Reed College, there was Lenny Brackett, Richard Baker's brother-in-law, and he lives in the Sierras, the foothills. Uh, and I say, Nevada City. And she says, and his good friend, Sammy Schrager. So they had been down to Tassara, I think, the first summer after it was bought, or maybe the second summer. And I say, Lenny was here some the first summer. I, I was interviewing her at Tassara, because I say here. 
I remember him. He played guitar. He played pr- really good guitar. And uh, she says, so they came back and started sitting zazen. And so for the first time, there was actually a place to sit and meditate. That was the beginning. And then I came down here from Reed uh, for a month in the summer. I lived in the lower barn with my roommate, who was Meg Goller. And I say, you said Lenny and Sam came down here? And she says, oh, yeah. And uh, then they went back and started sitting Zazen. She says, yeah, started sitting. They started an off-campus Zen house called Cosmos. And I go, right. And she says, uh, one of the rooms was a Zendo in the house. They gave people Zazen instruction, and they sat. I don't remember how often they sat. might have been every day, every morning that they sat. And out of that, a number of people became interested in practice. So the next summer, I came down here for a month, and I lived in the upper barn with Meg and Catherine Thanis. We all lived in the upper barn. And I say, and Marion was there. And she says, and Marion was there, yes, Marion Derby and Francis Thompson. Francis Thompson was the Tenzo. And I say, she's the only person from Zen Center who still relates to, who is allowed to relate to Marion Derby. And she says, is Marion alive? I say, yeah. She was up in Northern California. I'm in touch with her sometimes through Francis or through direct letters from Marion, but I can't answer them. I have to go back through Francis. And uh, she says, why does she not want to? Why is it private? And I say her husband doesn't want her to have relations. Any contact with people from Zen Center? Oh, he doesn't let her drive. Wow, she says, right? I just considered it another one of Marion's trips, I say. She's a pretty strong woman. I never can see her as a victim. Layla says, I hope so, yeah. Um, And I say, so I remember you all there. I remember that group because I'd go visit Marion down there. And Layla says, yeah, Dan Welsh. Dan and Louise Welsh were there. Paul Rosenblum was the office person. So I was here a month, and I went back to Bush Street. It was 69, summer of 69. Ruvain was here, a bunch of people. And I say, oh, yeah, a lot of people. Now in 69, I left in the middle of the guest season to study Japanese, so I might have missed you, I say. And she says, yeah, I don't remember you, so I think maybe so. And I say, yeah, I was in Monterey studying Japanese. And she says, uh-huh, uh, the last half. I was there, uh, I think, the last month. And I think Suzuki Roshi was in the city the whole time. Maybe he came, no, no. He did give a lecture here. I remember going to one or two lectures of his here. And I say, so that was the first time you saw him? She says, I don't remember it very well. I don't remember completely. The first time I really remember seeing him was over winter interim, over Christmas. I came down to Page Street. Page Street had just been purchased. And I say, yeah. And uh, she says, and there was... uh, a big party, and what's now the Buddha Hall, which was still a sitting room, a lady sitting room, and there was a fireplace, and there was a huge party, I think, to celebrate getting Page Street. People were just sitting on the floor because I guess we didn't have chairs, 
And I said, well, people moved in that building like mid-November. November the 19th comes to mind. You said around Christmas? She says, yeah, it was around Christmas. It was over Christmas vacation. And he was there. He was there at that party. And he was around the building. And I think that's when, no, that would have been later. So then I went <laughs> I went away back to Portland and earned the money to come down and do practice period and came back in August of 1970 to the city, spent a month in the city, and that's when I actually had the most contact with him because he was there and I was there and I never, like I said, I never had dokes on with him, but he was always around the building. I would see him. I was very shy. I was afraid to approach him, but he approached me once, as I said, when I was sitting in the front porch steps, the front steps at City Center. I was very poor, so I was making all my Christmas presents, so I was whittling a set, a salad set, a spoon, and a fork out of wood, and he was very interested in that, wanted to know what I was doing, how it was going, and came and sat down next to me, and he looked at it, and then there was... The only other thing, and I think I told you about this before, was there was a black kid just boldly knocked on the front door and came marching in and wanted to know, what do you guys do here? What do you guys do here? And I say, there was a while there they didn't lock the front door. And Layla says, and he saw the Buddha Hall. It was then a Buddha Hall with the Tommies, and he turned a couple of cartwheels across the Buddha Hall, this little black kid, you know. He was a, a youth, and then he was standing there. He was demanding to know. Maybe before he turned the cartwheels, he said, what do you do here? What are you guys doing here? What's going on? And Suzuki Roshi was there and came over and bowed to him and said something like, we practice Zen here. And you want to know what that's like? The kid was being kind of snotty, I think. And so Suzuki Roshi turned him around and whacked him with his kiyosaku real hard, you know, a couple of times on his shoulders. And he turned the kid around and bowed to him. And that I think that's when the kid went and turned the cartwheels, you know. And he wasn't put off. He wasn't upset or hurt or anything. It was like, whoa. He went and turned these cartwheels in the Buddha home. <laughs> I said, well, that's great. She's... <laughs> And Layla says, and he left. And then I came to Tatsuhara, and Suzuki Roshi was not here because he was sick. And so it was fall 1970 when I came here to live, here at Tatsuhara. That fall of 70, were you here then, fall uh, 1970, Tatsugami Roshi's first practice period. Yeah, yeah, I was here. And she asked, first practice period? I say, no. Wasn't his first? Nope. It was spring of 70 was his first practice period. She says, okay. I said, yeah, he was there for three. So it was his second practice period, she says. It's a little hard for me to talk out of the blue, especially when... I just didn't have much contact with him, you know. Well, it doesn't matter, I say. Talk about yourself. I mean, just what happened after that? She says, so uh, 
It was my first practice period, and uh, it was a really hard practice period because I was cold and scared and didn't have enough clothes, and I was rooming with Janet, and I'd say, oh, Janet uh, S., and she says, well, this is no secret. Janet Sturgeon? She says, yeah, Janet Sturgeon. I went, oh, that would have been interesting. <laughs> and she says, I think she was having an affair with Tatsugami Roshi at the time, so she wasn't there actually a heck of a lot of the time. Yeah, she was his Anja, his uh, cabin cleaner. And uh, I said, Janet was not secretive. She said, he's more man than any of you. <laughs> she was great. <laughs> Layla went, ha. Well, that was quite a man. I mean, he was pretty solid there. So I was just, you know, concentrating on trying to get through daily fall schedule. And and that was the fall of 70. And then the spring. And he did the spring. Yeah. Oh, and she says, did he die spring of 71? I say, no, he did not. No. no. Oh, she talked about Suzuki. I say, no, his death was later. So you did the spring 71 practice period. And um, then did you stay for the summer? No, I went back to Los Altos. Oh, you were in Los Altos? Yeah. Jim Bockhorst, he didn't want to come to Tassara. He wasn't ready to come to Tassara. But he came down to Los Altos and stayed practicing there. I said, did you know him already? Yes, I knew him from Reed. We met at Reed. I go, oh. She says, at the Zen house. Was he your boyfriend? He was my boyfriend for four years, yeah. Uh, I say, how romantic. She says, yeah, we were both at Reed together. And after my one month here at Tassara in the summer, I went back to Reed and set up a Zen house. Me and Rick Levine set up a Zen house, another off-campus house, because I guess the cosmos wasn't functioning anymore. And um, we had a real scene going. You know, we had about this huge old off-campus. We had this huge old off-campus house. Twelve people lived in it. And she says, we sat every morning, I think, and and I know we sat every afternoon. We were quite gung-ho there for a while. I said, wow, almost all the sitting groups are like once a week. She said, well, we were young college students and into it. So I said, uh, were you there for Richard Baker's uh, mountain seat ceremony when Suzuki was dying? She says, yeah. She says, well, like everyone, I remember Suzuki Roshi looking so, so, so sick, you know, so yellow. And what did someone say that he was just almost smaller than his robes? coming in with that ringing stamp. I remember him more than anything else. I remember him coming in with that ringing thing. And then I don't remember too much about the ceremony itself. And I say, okay, so what's happened since then? And she says, oh, hmm. She says, I've got a migraine. I said, oh, you do? She said, it's hard to think. Yeah, 
I said, well, maybe you should go rest. She says, no, I get them all the time. I have medication for it, and it works to stop the pain, but it's hard to think. It's hard to think very well. And she said, I'm, I, I've taken the medication, and I'm not experiencing a lot of pain. It's just hard to kind of think really clearly. I said, well, maybe. She said, no, 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 this is fine. Uh, she said, especially if you ask questions. I went, oh, okay. So I said, okay, well, you have a Zen group now. Where is it? And she said, uh, Larkspur, Corte Madeira. And when do you sit? Twice a week. I'll come sit with you. Maybe Katrinka will. And she says, yeah. If you live in San Rafael, I said, well, don't expect us to be regular, you know. Just drop by. She said, yeah, well, nobody's a regular. Sometimes it's just me. I went, all right, good. She said, we sit on Wednesday and Friday mornings at 6.30 a.m. for 35 minutes. And I said, well, that would be just me because Katrinka works late. She goes, okay. I said, well, what's the address? She says, well, it's the Aikido Tamil Pius Center. And it's 142 Redwood in Corte Madera. And there's a map on my website, mountainroot.org. It used to be a more vital group, and people have been doing it for 12 years. So a Sangha group, and people really got to know each other and felt support from each other. But one by one, people moved away for various reasons. So every once in a while, we get together. A few of us, you know, we're trying to get together more. But now there's only locally, there's only three or four people left, so it's pretty small. So I said, you go to Idaho? And she said, yeah, Montana and Idaho. I said, Boise? I go to Boise sometimes. John Connors thing? Uh, she says, yeah. In Montana? Helena, Montana. And she says, I go there twice a year. And one of those times I do one or two weeks practice intensive where we sit zazen three times a day. And people can come according to their schedule. And we do a longer thing on the weekend. So it's quite nice, you know. And there's not much happening there that people really appreciate it. I'd like to go there more. I really would. And I've been invited to go to another little town in Montana called Kalispell and do a Zen event there. There's just these isolated people here and there in Montana that are interested in practicing. Mm. So I say, so who have your teachers been? And she says, well, Suzuki Roshi's my root teacher. And then after that, pretty much everybody, you know, just the in general practice and the sangha. I don't actually say that I have another specific teacher. I can't say right now. Uh, I have a teacher, Norman, gave me transmission, but I don't feel particularly close to Norman. I love him. I love Mel. Mel was the preceptor for my transmission. I said, what's that? The preceptor? Yeah. Well, they're the ones who do the precepts part of the transmission ceremony. Oh, hmm. You know, where you take the precepts again and you have a special teacher, you know. It's not just the transmission teacher. Uh, there's this other second teacher who's the preceptor for the ceremony, and they give you the precepts, and you, 
give a little speech about how important it is to follow the precepts. I go, well, all right. And she said, it just adds, you know, weight and gravity to it. I go, "Mm mm-hmm. And I said, well, do you know that on Cuke.com, I've been putting up examples of Suzuki Roshi's use of the word precept. Incidentally, it was uh, Joe Wonderly, who used to be called Jenny Wonderly, who got me into that. She wanted to know what he had to say about precepts. So I, I got every use of the word precept. You know, since I've done that, we've added so many lectures. I've got to go back and do it again. I've done that with other things, with the phrase uh, most important. And uh, that, that most important thing and most important point, you know, is like 160 examples of each one. <laughs> All of them different. <laughs> And when uh, when uh, Danny Parker put together Ed Brown's book, The Most Important Point, uh, he took the one that said the most important point. Somebody said, uh, somebody asked, what's the most important point, Suzuki Roshi? And Suzuki said, the most important point is to know what the most important point is. Or maybe it wasn't a question. Maybe just said it in a lecture. And so... He put together a group of Ed's lectures because Ed had lectured on that. But Danny didn't realize <laughs> that was like one of, uh, what I'd say now, about 400 times Suzuki used that, or 350 to 400 times. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, oh, I say that. So Michael Katz's wife, Jenny Wonderly, asked me about precepts. And I'd just done this thing, putting up example. Oh, I'd already done. Oh, yeah, I'd done most important for Steve Stuckey. He asked me to do that. And that was really neat. Uh, and I think there were, so I said the precepts. Every time he said the word precepts, well, it's half his lectures. And I said, Jenny's doing it, and I've been pulling it up. And, I mean, it's like, a thousand pages or something. <laughs> no, it's not true. <laughs> and she goes, well, I, well, I don't know. I said, it got to be too long, so I've started the second, you know, website page. Precepts are important, obviously, she says. Uh, I say, Nils used to say, Suzuki Roshi's teaching his precept. And <laughs> Layla laughs. This is funny because... I've read published things that said Suzuki did not teach precepts. He did not. And they don't understand uh, that he wasn't literal in his teaching. Like Mel Weitzman said to Suzuki Roshi, literally following the precepts is heresy. Ha, ha, ha. And for Steve, I searched for money, support, some different words like that, what Suzuki said about priests and lay and support. Uh, and uh, and I say, you lived in Zen Center until you were at Green Gulch, right? And she says, yeah, we lived there a total of 18 years. I go, wow. And you and Jim moved to Mill Valley? Yeah, we moved to Mill Valley. And uh, when did you do that? She says, 1987, fall of 87. And then I say, and then you moved to Larkspur, yeah, in 1990, uh-huh. Uh, maybe 91. And I say, anything else? And she says, I don't think so. And I say, well, thank you. <laughs>
This was transcribed by C.M. I'm not sure who that is. Okay, I just found the post I put on Facebook on November 4th. R.I.P. Layla Bakhorst, contact me via messenger for visiting info. Just got word from Chris Fortin, who sent the following. In memoriam, Gyokujun Teishin, Pure Forge, Constant Heart, Layla Smith Bakhorst, August 31st, 1946 to November 3rd, 2022, with a quote under it. Standing or walking, sitting or lying down, during all one's waking hours, let one practice the way with gratitude. Hmm. So I'm going to read you now what came from that. There's a gasho from Wailin Chong, rest in peace. Giancarlo Shinkai Carboni. There's, oh, about 10 guy shows. David Silva is so sad in Little Crying Face. Anella Lee Granlich, Gate Gate Prasam, Gate Bodhisvaha. And Aloha Oe, Oe, Aloha Oe. Anna Wassermeyer, Gasho. Daniel. Kaplan, I'm really sad to learn this. Layla was always incredibly encouraging and kind to me, even when I first came to Zen Center. Beverly Morris Armstrong, Layla, sending love to her Bardo journey. Linda Lupo Lane Wong, I will always remember her kind and gentle spirit. Sintra Komang sent a candle image with rest in peace. Tayo Lipscomb. Oh, I had no idea she was in poor health. So sad. A good friend the last years I was at Zen Center. She will be missed. Karen Dakotas. She visited us in Bozeman many times and even provided a practice. She reminded me of the many faces and facets of Buddha and her practice was deep. I feel so sad somehow I yet go Layla, go. You're doing it. And then another from Karen Dakotas. Bye Layla. I loved working in the fields with you at Green Gulch in the eighties. And they appreciated all the help you gave to Montana practice. Thank you for your long life of practice and your sincere heart and your noble bearing. Gita Gayatri, Layla, you will be missed. I can never forget your helping hand in making my Juso initiation. Your kindness and generosity lives on in our hearts. Rest in peace, dear blessed one. Joe Cohen, steady, soft-spoken and kind, a gem among gems. Ted Howell, well, I had heard she was sick, and I'm very sad that she had to leave. It was quite a while since I had seen her last, and so I enjoyed it when I did. So very sorry to hear this. Bows. 
Chris Fortin, Layla's death was very peaceful and clear. Britain Pyland, farewell, Layla. Rest in peace. You're always a good friend. Enjoyed your company. I will miss you. Penelope Post, this reminds me of the gratitude she shared with us. Hideko Oga, oh, I remember her very well. Myodinislehi, she was my third Shuso at Tassara. Jim Hare, fondly remembered. I must have just missed her as Shuso. She remembered to rest in peace while she was alive. So, that's everything I could find that I had on Layla. Uh, but I can't express everything that I feel. So, farewell, Layla. Thank you, thank you. This has been a cute audio podcast. I'm DC Puba of Cuke Audio and Cuke Archives coming to you from Sleepy Sanur with Dogga Bandita Feline Cuchita and actually dear lovely Katrinka is in America right now but she's here in my heart too. And we're all wishing you and yours and all of us a grand awakening. Thank you.